0: What I'd like to do is step back a bit and think a bit about the character of God and how Him being in complete control of everything can encourage you and help you when you're on your front line in in the little things. And one of the things I've been trying to help us to see over this series is that God's interested in the little things. He is interested in you on your front line, where you're serving Him. And sometimes it's the very little things that can have the most profound impact on those around you. Um, So to do that, we're going to look at a um, slightly unusual book, the book of Esther. So see if you can find the book of Esther. Uh, it's in between Nehemiah and Job. Uh, of course, that's no help at all, um, if you haven't got a clue where they are. Uh, find the Psalms and turn left, and you'll get to Esther. If you want a Bible, this time just to run out and grab one. There we go. If you haven't got one, then uh, try and reach one. Uh, I love the book of Esther because it teaches you something amazing about God, and God being in total control. Of everything. And uh, I think it's a really heartwarming book because it it says to us when we think, here I am on my front line, what difference could I make? Uh, You see a very sort of unsuspecting person in this story who becomes a bit of a hero because she is faithful to God. Uh, it started off very small and became very significant. And I want us to think about that and then let that apply in to more specific areas where you're struggling with um, facing injustice or untruth. Um, so we're going to do a sort of whistle-stop tour through the Book of Esther. Um, Helen's going to just read selected verses to kind of help us pinpoint, and uh, I'll just work our way through it, because it's a really helpful book, and I want to encourage you with it this week. Um, so we're in the 5th century BC, um, When God's people were exiled, first of all, um, it was the Babylonians who were this great superpower who took them off into exile. After the Babylonians were the Persians. If you watch the film 300, um, the Persian king was a guy called Xerxes. Uh, He was a very, very powerful king, and he was king over Persia. Um, So we're talking about sort of 5th century. Um, And Xerxes king, he's hugely powerful. Can we have uh, chapter 1, verse 1 read, please, Helen?
1: This is what happened during the time of Xerxes the Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush.
0: So that's a little picture of the Persian Empire. You can see its extent. And you've got to remember, this is uh, BC. This is a kind of uh, long before some of the transport links that we have today. And to have an empire that extends that far shows huge power. So here's this king who's got incredible power. And we also know he's very wealthy. If you have a look at chapter 1, verse 4.
1: For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty.
0: This is really a story about God's sovereignty. And what I love about the story is what we do is we see in it God in his sovereignty. a word it really means God understands everything, sees everything and is in complete control of all things. It's his world which he has created. When you think about God's sovereignty, this is an amazing story that shows us that God is in control and at work, often in very insignificant places, but he uses them uh, for his glory. And I really want to use this then to encourage you on your insignificant front line, because he will use you in it. Uh, Basically, uh, as the story goes, I won't uh, go through all of it, but Xerxes has a a queen, a a wife called Vashti, uh, but she disobeys him, and uh, he loses his temper, and he basically kicks her out. He's a king, he's very powerful, so when his wife and him fall out, out she goes, and in comes another one. Um, It's not good, but that's what happened. And then what Xerxes decides to do is he decides to hold a beauty pageant. Yep, yeah, it's there in the Bible. Uh, this is a Miss World, which is some beauty pageant that apparently happens where um, beautiful women come and parade themselves and somebody, I don't know how, votes on who should win Miss World. Um, but there's this beauty pageant and all the beautiful women in Persia and across the empire paraded before the king. Remember, he's so powerful, he can do what he likes. He gets all these beautiful women in and they all parade and he chooses this one, someone who looked a bit like that perhaps, uh, Queen Esther. So have a look at, um, first of all, the intense pampering session that these women go through before they come before the king. Chapter 2, verse 12.
1: Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics.
0: Couldn't think of anything worse. But there we go. No, uh, so this is really intense beauty pageant. They've all um, doled themselves up. They're absolutely beautiful. They come before Xerxes. He chooses Esther, chapter 2, verse 17.
1: Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti.
0: Now, the amazing thing in this story is that um, this beautiful woman, Esther, um, she may prove to be the superhero in the story in many ways, but she's a bit of an outsider. She's a Jewish orphan. If you look back in chapter 2 to verse 7.
1: Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter, When her mother and father died.
0: So here's this young girl. She's beautiful, but there's not a lot going for her. She's an orphan. She's very vulnerable. You think, how in the world could she be right at the heart of God's plan in this massive kingdom with this King Xerxes? But God has a plan to use a seemingly insignificant woman to speak for truth and justice in a very big situation. Basically, the story goes on. There's another chap who's a nasty piece of work called Haman. He's basically the prime minister of Persia. He becomes power hungry and he he manages to persuade the king that everyone in the empire should bow down to him. Um, Of course, um, uh, Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, doesn't and nor does Esther. Um, So he gets really cross and so he manages to persuade the king to basically implement this widespread ethnic cleansing to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom. So have a look at chapter 3 verse 13.
1: Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy Kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, men and women, on a single day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods.
0: You imagine you're Esther and you're this vulnerable person who has been brought kind of into the king's palace. You've been now made the king, uh, the, the queen, almost by force, I guess, and by virtue of the fact that you're beautiful. And then you hear that this is a great plan to kill all the Jews. That includes possibly you, and it includes all of your family, others who have been orphaned or exiled with them. It's a pretty desperate situation. You're thinking, God, what are you doing? Why have you put me in this place? Esther's thinking. How in the world can I be useful for you here? But throughout the story, you see God at work, bringing her to this place, bringing her into the palace, bringing her into a very influential position next to the king. And she's going to speak out before the king. Um, But to do that is hugely significant in the culture. So we're just going to see here, here's a picture of perhaps Esther going before the king. Uh, That would have been very serious. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1.
1: On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance.
0: That probably doesn't mean much to us. She just goes before the king. Well... He is her husband. Uh, You think it would be normal for a queen to come before a king. But in that culture, it wouldn't be normal at all. In fact, to do that, she was risking her life. If you look back to chapter 4, verse 11.
1: All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the royal scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king.
0: Pretty frightening. Your husband has the power to raise a scepter saying you can live or to raise a sword and say you'll be killed and it's simply based on whether he is pleased with you that day. would be a slightly frightening state of affairs if that was the state of our marriages here. Um, But there there Esther is, and she's very brave, and she goes before the king. And what she does is she asks the unthinkable. She almost asks the king to reverse the plan that's been made. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 3. She asks the king for the Jews to be spared.
1: Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare me, my people. This is my request
0: great bravery, an insignificant person in a really important situation who was prepared to speak for what was true and what was just, even when it could have cost them their life. And then note how God has honoured her, chapter 8, verse 11, last verse.
1: The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies.
0: That's the story, um, but I want you to think about how that story can speak into your situation on your front line where you are faced with injustice, um, untruth. I've just got a few applications, uh, three sort of theological applications, things that are true theologically before God if you're a Christian believer, and then some really practical things to think through as you go into the weekend. Here's the first one. What we see in the book of Esther is that each of us are where we are for a reason. That can be hard, can't it? When you're stuck in a job or on a front line where you think, how could I possibly honour God here? I don't enjoy my work or the place I'm in. I've never had a significant conversation with anyone. Uh, no one even knows I'm a Christian. Or everyone, everyone knows I'm a Christian, now I've got no friends. Whatever it is, it can be really tough. But this story teaches us that none of us are where we are um, there's always a reason why we are where we are. Where we are. That can be tough, but perhaps we need to be praying, God, how do you want to use me in the place that you've put me? Why am I here? Who do you want me to be a blessing to? Second thing we see throughout the book of Esther is that God is always at work. I'd encourage you to read through this book, start to finish one day in one sitting. And It's an amazing book. It's a real adventure story, really. Um, Esther's one of the great sort of heroines of the Bible. Um, but God is always at work, even when we can't see it. Now that can be a particularly hard thing to trust in periods of suffering. It can be a particularly hard thing to trust when you're faced with a situation of injustice or untruth. But it is a promise that God has made in his word that he is always at work. He's an active God. If you remember back to the series we did in Isaiah um, a few months ago, we were thinking about God's transcendence. He's over everything. He's completely in control. But he's also imminent, which means he's close by. He can be known personally. And those two sort of twin truths are incredible. So as you think about you are where you are for a reason, even if you can't see it, always hold on to the truth that God is at work, even when you can't see it. And the third thing is, God promises to bless those who seek to honour him. Um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, and we we were saying that the blessing that God promises isn't always our comfort. It's not always what we feel would be right or best, but it's always what he knows is best for us. And sometimes it can take a long, long time to realise what that is. But God promises to bless us, and ultimately that blessing is a spiritual blessing. Um, It's a growth in our character. It's teaching us to be more dependent on him, uh, working and shaping and moulding us to be more like his son. And that can be tough, but if we hold on to those three truths, which are truths we see weaved all the way through the book of Esther that can really help us to think, there I am, little me, on my front line, what difference could I possibly make? And then you think, here's Esther, and she's an orphan, she had a terrible start, but God put her in a place which was able then to use her because she stood for what was true and what was just. And it's a really helpful story in that regard. Here's just a couple of verses I'd like you to spend some time pondering. Uh, We've looked at the Colossians one a number of times. I think one of the greatest joys of being a Christian is that you have a Lord who is not your earthly boss, who could be reasonable and fair, but equally could be unreasonable and unfair. One of the great joys of being a Christian is we have a heavenly Father and he is the one ultimately we're serving. And that can mean that sometimes we have to stand for what is true and what is just and it can cost us. But it's a verse saying, whatever we do, we're to do it for him ultimately. And sometimes I've known Christians who have stood up for Christ in the workplace or on their front line. And it's really cost them. It's cost them a promotion. It's cost them their reputation. It's made life far harder for them. Uh, But God has honoured that courage. He's honoured it and he's used it for his glory. Perhaps a slightly more challenging verse, but it comes in Mark chapter 8. It's not in the easy words of Jesus. But he did say to his disciples at a moment where they had a choice, were they going to follow him or were they not going to follow him? He just predicted his death. Uh, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, uh, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Uh, You think about adultery, it's unfaithfulness ultimately, isn't it? And we can be unfaithful to God, spiritual adultery, when we fail to have him as Lord of our life. And sometimes it's easier, far easier, to shy away from speaking up for what is true and what is just because to do so would cost us. Um, But as some have pointed out, it can be really hard when you want to speak up for the name of Jesus. And it's so much easier often to keep our mouths shut because it just gives us an easy ride. And yet the challenge is, is he our Lord? Of course that takes wisdom. I appreciate that in a lot of workplaces... Um, it's not easy or even you're not allowed to speak publicly about your faith and we need to honour those who are in authority over us in those workplaces but there are ways in which we can still speak up for what is true and uh, it's a real challenge to us isn't it Uh, do we let him be lord of our life well they're the kind of theological truths which we have to grapple with we have to think through um, but I hope will help us I'll just remind you of them again you are where you are for a reason God is always at work even if you can't see it Um, I've had to remind myself of that this week and I encourage you to think about that this week. And God blesses, grows the characters of those who seek to honour him. Um, But as we turn to some time praying together, um, I think one of the things we need to pray for is wisdom. Uh, We need to know when to speak up and how to speak up. Often, as I've said, the best thing to do is not say anything. But sometimes the right thing to do is to say something. And we need to pray for real wisdom and grace to know what that is. Um, I'm not here with any answers for that. Each of our situations will be different. Um, But when we get into little groups in a moment to pray, let's pray that God would give us his wisdom to know when it's right to speak up. I guess we need real patience as well, don't we? And we were thinking a couple of weeks ago with the molding culture. Um, It can take real time to shape and mold the culture in which we work or we live on our front line. But it's worth pursuing because God's kingdom is good. And I just encourage you with this patience, think about you playing your part. I always think about the example of recycling, for instance, and trying to be a good steward of God's planet. You probably think at times, and I do, you know, what difference would it make putting my milk bottle in the recycler rather than just chucking it in the bin? And at one level, it makes no difference at all. But at another level, it makes a very profound difference because if every Christian had that level of integrity, of wanting to make a difference in all the little things, you add it all together... And over time with great patience and the wisdom God gives, he can use Christian witness to be very powerful. So let's pray for wisdom for each other. Let's pray for patience. And let's finally pray for courage. And I guess this is perhaps the most challenging, but it's do I love Jesus Christ enough to honour him no matter what the cost? And it's a question we've always got to ask ourselves. And putting him first before our comfort Uh, Perhaps some of the reasons why we don't always have as many opportunities as we'd like to share our faith is because we don't actually live that kind of cultural. And when the opportunity does come, we just run away because it's easier. And I know I do it a lot of the time. But the challenge is with the wisdom that God gives and with the patience that he can grow within us and with the courage that his spirit will bless us with, we can speak for what is true and what is just. And perseverance, that means. I want to encourage each of us that God gets injustice. When you're in that situation on your front line where it's just not fair where people who cut corners seem to get promoted or blessed and where you are showing great integrity and you always end up at the bottom of the pile just think about the cross God gets injustice when he sent his son to die on the cross in our place that was the most unjust thing that could ever happen the only one who didn't deserve God's punishment and yet he went to the cross for you and for me so look to the cross because that gives you encouragement to persevere as Christ did. Um, but also remember that the gospel offers hope to a lost and broken world. Uh, we live in a culture, don't we, where there's so much that's not true and people are crying out for what's genuine and real. And We live in a culture that is so much injustice. And if as Christians we stand up and say, I follow Jesus Christ, he's my Lord and my Saviour, and I want to make a difference on my front line, even if it's in the tiny little things, God will bless us because the gospel offers hope to our nation and it's the hope that nothing else can bring only the gospel just as I close there's one thing in the book of Esther that's a real surprise it's a book all about God's sovereignty does anyone know what the one surprise is in the book there we go do you know that it's it's very rare to have a book of the Bible that does not mention God you won't see God's name anywhere in the book And yet, I read through it again this week. Almost on every page, you're seeing God at work. And I want to encourage you with that because you'll go onto your front line tomorrow morning and you're probably at times thinking, where is God? I can't see him. I don't feel he's in my work. I can't see how I can be significant. I feel alone. But as you look at the book of Esther, you see God on every single page. And as I pray at the beginning of the service, he's already gone ahead of us into Monday morning. He knows exactly what struggles and joys you your face and he's gone before you. So maybe your prayer tomorrow morning should be, God, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of it? I want to speak for what is true and just and I thank you that you are with me. So be encouraged. God is not a distant God who doesn't care. He's in our lives even if we can't see it. We've just got to look for it. What I'd love us to do is just to spend a moment of reflection and just to turn in twos and threes and just pray for each other yeah, to encourage each of us as we go out onto our front line tomorrow. Uh, let's not spend time talking and sharing where we're going to be because then we won't pray. Um, but why don't just we uh, lead each other in some short prayers in twos and threes or just sitting quietly on your own if you prefer. And let's pray that as Christians we can hold up what is true and what is just to a broken and lost nation. Let's take a few moments now.